0: Or tell that person in high school how much you like them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decision or moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never
1: happened.
2: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: My guest today is Sonny J. Sonny is a presenter and radio DJ and host of Capital Radio's Late Show, and previously a co-host of Capital's flagship breakfast show for five and a half years. Sonny has been an entertainer since a young age and played both the London Palladium and Wembley Stadium before he was 18. And in 2012, he got to the finals of Britain's Got Talent as part of the band Lovable Rogues, who then went on to support Olly Murs on a 28-day tour and played Capitol's summertime ball, just to name a few. In 2015, Pop's loss was radio's gain and Sonny dedicated himself to a broadcasting career graduating from local radio he joined capital in 2017 an issue presenting overnights before joining capital breakfast show alongside his great friends roman kemp and sean Welby. and in 2021 he successfully juggled his radio day job with a new skating obsession and won the 13th series of itv's dancing on ice with his infectious sense of humor, relatable charm, and extensive knowledge of pop culture, Sonny is well on his way to creating the career and life he always dreamt of. And I cannot wait to hear all about his sliding doors moments. So Sonny, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, So you've now done a full year of your evening show on Capital. How's the first year been for you? I mean, it's almost kind of like you've switched time zones. I've
3: completely switched time zones, which is crazy, Um, but I feel like in the best way. Um, So yeah, obviously doing the breakfast show, you know, getting up at four o'clock every single morning to, you know, get to work and living a jet lagged life, doing the breakfast show, coming home from work, you know, falling asleep on the sofa because you're so tired. It's like, I can't even, I feel like I can't even remember that time now because you know, last year just changed my life doing the Capital 8 show because it, I've just literally got the day to myself and then I go to work in the evening. And obviously I love doing work and it just doesn't feel like I have a job at the moment in the <laughs> yeah. weirdest way. But I remember always being scared about doing my own show because I was thinking, you know, I've been doing the breakfast show now for like six years, six or so years. And I remember thinking I'm going to I'm going to be by myself now. And it's sort of a scary moment, that, yeah. that moment of like, you know, I'm, I have my mates around me every single morning. I have a laugh and we always pick each other up to me just being by myself. And I, I remember being really worried about it and thinking, can I, can I do this? Um, and I, you know, I don't tell Roman or Sean who I used to work with, but I, I think I prefer
0: it. <laughs> I think I prefer it.
3: I do. It's yeah. mad. And I never thought I would, but it, it reminded me of like how, the reason why I got into doing what I'm doing, because actually I you know, I started alone. I just happened to fall into working with, you yeah. know, Roman and Sean at the time, Sean so Welby. And then now I feel like, Oh actually, yeah, I prefer it.
0: And also I think sometimes you've got to throw yourself out of your comfort zone to to realize your ability to do things you know like as you say you thought how am I going to do this I need my friends around me how am I going to go on my own and then you do the scary thing and realize I can actually do this and has it kind of taught you a bit of that kind of self-belief like go for stuff take risks do new things and because you never know what how you're going to feel or what's going to come of it
3: absolutely and I remember um I interviewed Leanne from Little Mix. She came in, obviously she's gone solo now and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And I remember having a really like sort of in-depth conversation with her I've known her for years. Um, and, you know, she was, she went to me, oh, how's it, you know, doing this by yourself now? And I, what, it's probably the same for you. You know, you, you realize that there is a reason you started doing this, you know, and mm. that you, you start to believe in yourself a bit more because you're not being backed up by, you know, a couple of other people that you work with. And I feel like, Since, you know, I was 18 years old, I used to be in a band and there was three of us in this band. And since being 18, I've always been around people and working with people. And this is the sort of first time since I was 18 that I'm doing something by myself. So it does give you a bit of, it's scary at first, but it does give you a bit of belief into actually I can do this, you know, by myself.
0: Definitely. And there is also something really special. Do you feel like this about a late night audience and a late night show. I think people that speak, like talk about when they do radio is, is that the breakfast show is very special, but also late nighters as well, because you're in people's homes, people are working, doing shifts. It's kind of that, I don't know, it's a special time. And do you feel like you've also felt that shift from the audience that listens to you?
3: I really have. It's so interesting. You know, you do a breakfast show, you're part of everyone's morning, their routine, they're getting up and everything. And doing the late show, it's like, there's such a different audience, and it's actually mm. quite a nice one because they're really listening. You know, yeah. they're they're in the car, they're probably working in the car, they're in their lorries, they're doing night shifts, they're doing you know all these things. Or like you said, they're at home and they're really listening. You know, if you've got the radio on, you're really listening at that sort of time because you put it on for a reason. And I'm lucky in a way; like I've got away with so much on my show and I I, honestly (laughs) I I never thought I'd be like I I used to be a bit risque on the breakfast show yeah and then I realized that obviously kids are listening but you've got to be clever with it because obviously if kids are listening it's if you're saying things that the parents get and laugh at you know and kids might ask the questions to their parents whatever but on the late show it's like I can kind of get away with a lot more and I feel like it's a a show made for me because you know the stuff that I've done this year I'm like how have they allowed this I mean, I haven't I haven't been fired yet, but you know. Exactly. You, never,
0: you know. never know. Could come. But I think, you know, that's probably why, you know, you do do so well and you enjoy it so much. And, you know, I think there is something special about just having that cheeky side to you, you can be you. And it does sound like kind of this, this suits your personality in the way that you love to interact with people. And was it a hard decision? Like you say, you know, you you never thought that like, you could just go and do this on your own but was it a hard decision when you made the decision to leave the breakfast show and kind of go on your own like do you are you someone that follows your guts was it something that just felt like you needed a new challenge how how did that decision come about for you
3: the decision came about because my contract was coming up to an end on the breakfast show and i had to make a decision whether you know, I needed a fresh start for a new year, which is, you know, something that I know we've discussed, that yeah. it really helps because, you know, um you, it, I think it's good for the mind to start mm-hmm. a new year and to go into something new. And I think for me, it was a moment where I looked at not just, you know, the year ahead, but three years ahead, you know, four years ahead, where do I want to be? And I knew that Doing what I was doing as part of a three in a breakfast show was never going to get me to where I want to be, and you know, yeah. as a solo presenter and all that sort of stuff. So I had I made the decision to sort of do go alone, and it was the scariest, you know, thing at first. But it was the only way of me in four years' time, you know, getting work as a solo presenter and sort of being mm-hmm. my own name and my own, you know, my own brand, I guess. And I yeah. hate using that word, but you know, I've never had that for, you know, six or so years. And I remember when I was doing Dance on an Ice, it was the first time that it was just about me. And I was like, wow, this is weird. Um, So, yeah, it was was a big decision, but I'm so pleased I've done it, you know. And I'm, I'm a year into doing it by myself now as a solo presenter, and I love it.
0: And you know what, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to kind of look into that, you know, brand of yourself doing things alone. And I think this decision will really help you in later life when you're trying to kind of like make other decisions, because I've definitely heard you say that, you know, it wasn't just like the show that, you know, changed for you last year. It was more like you kind of had a new you. It was kind of like a new phase in your life, like mentally, physically, you turned 30 and you feel like that all kind of rolled up together. And that was like a big, a big shift for you as well as a person.
3: Absolutely. I found it was just the perfect excuse to just start fresh, you know, that Mm. fresh canvas feeling of, I was lucky enough to start a new job in January, which was the Capital Late Show. I was lucky enough to, Um, have sleep which meant that I could you know get into the gym and you know instead of being tired all the time from work be tired from the gym you know and and I sort of focused on myself a lot because I had a bit more time during the day to do that and it just so happened that that year as well I turned 30 so it was just Mm -hmm. all these things that just fell into place that I just thought this is a perfect time for me to do all these things that I wanted to do solo present you know go to the gym and actually get feel physically fit. Yeah, um, you know, I set myself a challenge. My my um, my birthday's in June, at the end of June. So I was like, six months is a perfect amount of time, you know, to not strain myself and starve myself or anything like that, but just gradually get to where I want to be. Yeah, and I think that's what you know. I always play the long game of you know, there's no quick fix to anything because if there is, it comes out. You know, you fall fast. Definitely. So yeah, I just set myself that challenge, and I feel like we're doing all right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And you can, you know, you can see it, you can hear it in your voice. And I think, you know, turning 30 is a really big. I mean, I love turning 30. For some reason, everything just started to click. You feel, you do feel a shift and it's amazing to kind of have, you know, everything else around you happen at that time. And, you know, you've spoken a bit about how you are on radio and I love asking this question, but like, there must be something that's happened to you on live radio before that you're just like, I can't believe that ever happened. Like what is the worst thing that has ever happened to you in all your presenting years on radio?
3: Oh, it's a good question because I find that there's so many things. I mean, you get awkward moments. I mean, you know, capital do, um, capital give me the cash. So there was one morning that I think we were giving away about £35,000 and, you know, this sort of competition is that if you've entered and we call you back, you have to say capital give me the cash. That's the first thing you have to say. Yeah. You can't say... Hello, or anything like that. And the most awkward moment was that we were calling this guy because he won thirty-five grand, and he, someone picked up the phone, and it wasn't him, and it was his daughter, and she goes, "Hello," and we have to, as a competition, take that as yeah. the first thing that someone has said on the phone. And he's picked up. He's obviously picked up the phone out of the daughter's hand and gone. What are you doing? You know, this is my phone. And he goes capsule. Give me the cash. And we were like. Mate, we're so sorry. It's it's too late. Like, it was too late. And then, and then he was like, he was really like, obviously upset. And he was like, go on then, how much was it? And then Sean Welby, who I work with, that has obviously done this podcast before, she was like, don't tell him, don't tell him. And (laughs) Roman was like, yeah, mate, it's about 35 grand, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, that was an awkward moment. But then you get funny moments where like things that you, you never think would happen to you on air. Like, I put a TikTok up not so long ago of me just having a hiccup on air and I always oh have this God. theory I always have this theory that like you you never sneeze on air like you, you yeah. just can't like you never can't hiccup sneeze, on because you just like can't. You can't
0: yeah you can't
3: exactly but you just don't feel like you need to because the mics are up and you're just like in the zone and I don't know what happened I was a bit delirious that day and I was just on air and I was talking about some story whatever and I just hiccuped on air and it it made me laugh so much. I couldn't get any more words out. So <laughs> my laugh is just a wheeze. And it just, it went on for about a minute to oh a point my where God. I couldn't say anything and then just pressed the button that went capital. And that was it. <laughs> and I thought, these people are in their cars going, What on earth is going
0: on? And that's like, I guess that's the beauty of live radio, but also the scary thing that you've got one chance. But I also think, you know, that's what makes you relatable to people. Like, you know, we hiccup at the weird times, we sneeze at weird times, you know, things happen that are awkward. And I guess you just have to kind of, that's what makes you, you know, a good presenter. You can just have to roll with it and kind of like make the good out of the bad situations. Exactly. Exactly. That's the fun in it. A hundred percent. And you know, you mentioned before that you're in a band. I totally forgot that you were in the lovable rogues and it's amazing to kind of like look back and think of that. And you were on stage at a very young age. Has performing always been in your blood? Cause you know, presenting is a form of, you know, performing. And do you think kind of you've been like that since a young age has it always been something that's been, you know, a part of Sunny J? I
3: I think it definitely has. Um, I, I, funny enough, I was talking about this the other day, I was having a chat at work and we were just, you know, telling everyone how we got into doing what we're doing and all that sort of stuff. And everyone sort of was speaking about their idols and who they watched, you know, and that made them get into doing what they're doing. And all they all had like cool ones, you know, like Davina McCall and <laughs> whoever else that, that was like, you know, cool people growing up and why they were doing what they're doing. And I, I was last to answer and I was a bit like, well, Mine's not really cool, but it's, he is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. And it was Michael Barrymore. because oh, I love I Michael
0: Barrymore.
3: Exactly. And it was every Saturday. He was Mr. Saturday Night growing up for me.
0: Strike it rich, strike it lucky.
3: Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it, then he was doing My Kind of People and Kids Say oh, the Funniest Things. And so I just good. remember looking at him thinking, apparently I said to my mum, and I, I, can't, I was too young to remember this, but my mum apparently said, that I said to her, I want to be doing what he's doing. How do I do that? Yeah. And my mum then sent me to like a stage school, and you know i I hated playing football when I was growing up, so there was no sort of like real hobby for me that I loved doing and then as soon as I went into stage school, it was like it obviously just made sense for me because i I was yeah. just felt like an entertainer and I wanted to be an entertainer and I feel like I'm on that road, which is crazy because that was so many years ago, you know I was probably about five.
0: Yeah. But it's amazing. And I think, you know, as I say, like, I think you can try different forms of kind of ways of, you know, performing and connecting with people. And I love that Michael Barrymore was like such a big, um, part of you because again, like that's how we know what we want to do. We see things and it's just this innate thing inside us to say, that's what I want to be doing. And it's amazing to know that at such a young age and then be able to kind of play it out. and. We also can't not mention Dancing on Ice because I think that's been a really big part of your journey in your life. Another form of performing, you can kind of do everything it sounds like. And you won the show in 2021. Um, How did that experience change your life? Because, I mean, I have to say, it's the one show that I feel like I would never do because I'm just so scared of like falling over. It's really, really hard. Um, And how did that whole experience kind of like, as I say, change things for you?
3: It was such a whirlwind of an experience, Dancing on Ice, because I had a call on a Friday night from my manager to say, Dancing on Ice are looking for the last person to do this show. Um, on Monday, would you be up for auditioning? And I thought, oh, I've not even got time to, to think about it. Like, and my, my manager said to me, look, just go to the audition, see if you like it. You can always say no, or you, they might not even want you anyway. So I said, fine. So then that was on a Friday night. Monday came. I was, you know, lo and behold, doing a dance to a nice audition, which, by the way, is not like a normal audition I was for anything. say, what
0: is the audition for that? It's more, it's like
3: you, you put skates on, you're... Showing them that you can't skate, basically. And then you come off the ice and then you're doing like a coordination test, I guess, <laughs> of like just simple moves and all that sort of stuff. And I think they looked at me and thought, he's so bad, this is going to be good TV. Really? Um, and then, yeah, so that was the Monday. And then by Thursday, I got a contract offer from Dance and Ice to say, do you want to do it? And I just felt like I had no time to... And I remember saying to my manager, it's, it's not even it's not even one of the shows that I would have even said I wanted to do because I think it looks impossible. You know, you go onto this show, not learning, not knowing how to skate. And then suddenly you're picking your dance partner up.
0: It's skating, it's dancing. It's like physical, it's everything.
3: Yeah. And I just thought this is not for me, but it was such a whirlwind. I just was just suddenly, you know, in sparkly outfits every weekend (laughs) and it just took over my life. And obviously I was lucky at the time it was 2021 and you know there were still sort of lockdowns here and there and you know I was lucky enough to be able to go and do a breakfast show on the radio but then also afterwards go learn how to skate and after that I would go home and then go to bed and then wake up and it would all sort of happen again I I just feel like like I said to you earlier it was it was my first chance of me being just me doing something you know and you know, you see a lot of other people do these shows and, you know, their names, this, that, whatever. I was felt like I was really lucky that I had the opportunity to do that show because I feel like it did sort of cement my name in just people know that I'm doing this. And, you know, it was it was a nice moment for me to go, I'm sort of good enough to be sort of put on that show and for people to know who I am, you know.
0: Definitely. And it's a sliding doors moment. You know, you could have easily been like, I can't be asked to go to there on Monday. Like, no, not for me. As you say, a show that you hadn't really thought about doing, I can't do it. And I do sometimes think that the opportunities that present themselves to us, that we don't care too much about often are the best ones, you know, when the pressure's off, you just do something because you're like, let's just try it. And, you know, as you say, they thought you were kind of like, you know, probably not that good how did you then go to win it like how did you get yourself through like did you do you love just having a challenge you someone that wants you kind of say yes to the thing you just fully commit do you feel like you just had a really good I don't like to use the word but journey on the show
3: I do I, I mean I put it all down to my lucky number is 13 yeah um I've got it tattooed on me it's on football shirts of mine everything it was the 13th series of Dancing on Ice. Oh and I, I honestly think it must be the only reason because, <laughs> you know, I did go on that show not knowing how to skate, but I did commit to it. I must say there was one thing I did do, you know, I'm still waking up at 4 a.m. every morning doing my breakfast show. And, you know, a lot of people were, you know, getting up just to do this show. But, yeah. you know, I was, I was doing both things and it took over my life for six months, you know, um, to a point where when it was on the live shows, you know, I was doing breakfast every single morning, five days a week. Saturday I was going into dancing on ice to do rehearsals and Sunday I was, so I was doing seven days a week for months. You know, it was just ridiculous and there was no, there was no moment, but I've just felt lucky that I was in the moment and, you know, working, I guess, but I don't know how, I honestly don't know. I think just commitment. I I think it taught me that if you can stick to practicing something every single day Mm -hmm. that you can achieve great things And that's what I put into my sort of working out routine last year when I started in January, because I knew that if I commit to something, I would get good results. And I think that's really ingrained in me now from Dancing on Ice. And it's proven that last year, you know, I could go to the gym and I could commit and that's got results. So you just think, what else can I do, you know, that I can commit to and get good results from, you know?
0: Ah, oh, it's amazing! It's such an amazing life lesson, but also such a great inspiration for other people in terms of as you say, committing to something and really showing yourself your own ability and It leads on to me asking you before we go on to talking about your sliding doors moments, you've mentioned there that you do have a lucky number, so I'm guessing you kind of do believe in some form of luck and fate. But when it comes to the you know the sliding doors theory, what are your thoughts? you know do you think? Things happen for a reason do you think it's fate timing luck coincidence what what do you believe in
3: my mum has always brought me up and always said to me that things happen for a reason you know and timing is everything like I would consider myself you know quite a lucky person because of everything that I've done in life you know um but maybe that's not down to luck. This is where I find it hard because it's like, maybe it's not down to luck. Maybe I sort of give myself a hard time because I do put effort into things. And I do feel like, you know, you work to get yourself into places and, but I also think you need luck on your side to go with Mm -hmm. it. You know, I, I, when I used to do music, there was loads of people that were so much better than, you know, me and, they might be the better singer. They might be, you know, better looking. They might have all these better opportunities. But actually, you need a bit of luck on your side because, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about all the musicians out there that are so amazing, but we've just yeah. never heard of and they've never had the luck or the, do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I do think it is as a collective, all of those things.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. And I think that... You, you make a point that we talk about quite a lot in the sense of, I think you have to, in order for luck to work, you have to work hard. You know, you have to be ready. You have to prepare yourself because I do think luck comes to everybody. But if you're not ready for it, if you've not prepared for it, if you've not put the time in, the luck won't flourish and kind of go into opportunities. And I think it's a really good theory. Listen, I think some people are luckier than others, but I guess it's what you do with that luck. And it sounds like you've done a lot of good stuff with your luck. We'll go on to talking about your sliding doors moment. So your first one is not going to sixth form. What my mum wanted me to do is it was the safe option, but ending up going to performing arts college instead. So I think we've all had a what if moment in life that involves our parents wanting us to do something and us saying, nope, I want to do something totally different. I, went, I wanted to go to a different high school, went there and then ended up going back to the one my parents wanted to go to. I think we all want to kind of do something and our parents want us to take, you know, the the safe kind of reliable option. So do you want to take us back and explain how you came to this decision of not going to sixth form and why this was such a sliding moment for you?
3: I think it's quite a pivotal moment for me purely because, you know, as... Um, when I was younger, I was doing loads of, you know, because I said my mum put me into stage school and all that sort of stuff. I was getting like jobs as a child and doing all that. You know, I was, I was like to a point of even being like a sewer child in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in the That's West amazing. End. Amazing, you
0: know?
3: yeah. So so, but so then, then there was a, a moment where it was like, right, I've got into sixth form and this is now adult stuff. You know, this mm-hmm. is like, what do I want to carry on doing what I'm doing? Do I think that I can... Believe in myself that much to not go to sixth form and actually pursue a career in what I want to be doing, i.e., you know, at the time it was music or just entertaining. I just really wanted to entertain. And I think, you know, when you've got your parents going, sixth form you know just go you can always do do something that you want afterwards yeah and I just remember you know standing there with my grades from GCSEs you know the letter and my mum was like so you know you're gonna you're gonna do it and it's not like a, it was a pushy thing for my mum but I think it was just a safe option you know exactly. to have options coming yeah. out of sixth form and I just remember saying to my mum Mum, I, I don't want to do it I would just want to go to like performing arts college and just you know do that and pursue that And I think it was that moment where it was the first time I was like, no, I want to do this. You know, it was like a...
0: Was it just a natural feeling inside?
3: Yeah, it was a natural feeling inside of just like, I could do, you know, an office job, whatever. But this for me is what I feel like I was born to do, you know, and this is what I've got to go with my gut over, you know, someone saying, well, hang on, it's a safe option and it's whatever. You know, when you think, look at, I I love Dragon's Den. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. when you look at, you know, all the dragons that go, you know, it's the biggest risk takers. That's if you take the biggest risk and all that sort of stuff. And okay, maybe looking back, it wasn't the biggest risk, but it did give me, a, you know, a big reward to where I am now. So Mm -hmm. that for me was, you know, a bit of a sliding doors moment because... It was that decision of, like, no, I'm going to trust my gut this time, you know, because Definitely. when you're in school, you, you have to go by, you know, what your parents, yeah. you know, because they're looking out for you. And do you know what I mean? So, but yeah, that, that for me was, I remember that day so well.
0: Yeah, 100%. And like, you know, you were quite young, like, you know, to make that decision and have a gut feeling at that age is quite like a big thing. Like, you know, you're not, I think our parents want to guide us because we haven't had the life experiences yet. And, you know, sometimes parents let you make decisions, even if they think they might fail just to kind of like guide you along the way. Sometimes they won't let you, but you know, it sounds like from a young age, you you knew what your gut wanted and, you know, what kind of, You know, from going to performing arts college, what significant moments happened there, you know, in terms of the fact that like if you'd have gone after sixth form, like going at that specific time, how did that kind of be such a pivotal moment in your life?
3: I think it was a pivotal moment in my life because um, it was a performing arts college and in performing arts, you have to do everything. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to sing, you have to be able to dance and you have to be able to act. And the two things that I did love doing was singing and acting. The dancing, <laughs> not so much.
0: <laughs> well,
3: look at you now! You weren't dancing on ice. Well, I've got a trophy at home, but you know, I don't want to throw it out there too much. Um, but yeah, it was the dancing that I didn't really like, and there was two other people in my year that didn't also enjoy dancing. They enjoyed the acting and the singing part, and there there was always like this end of year show at college where you'd have to audition for all these dance parts and whatever. And there was one day that three of us just thought, there's no point in even going. You know, we're not dancers. We're not going to get these dance numbers. It's just not going to happen. There's just no point. So we ended up sitting in a room for a couple, like I remember it was a couple of hours. And we always used to bring like instruments in, like guitars, whatever. I, I used to bring a ukulele and it was the only instrument I could play at the time. And um, we just started writing this song together and it was a song that was called Lovesick. And um, we were like, oh, this is actually a really good song. And then we were like, it was just one of those moments of just like, are we a band? Is this, is this a band that we, is this what's happening right now? And it, it was, you know, and then we ended up thinking, should we just actually do a band, like do a band and go gig and stuff and see if they were like us. And we did. And then it it got to a point where we, we thought we were bigger than the college, which is (laughs) terrible. know terrible, but we were like, we're doing a gig. That young arrogance. Yeah. We're doing a gig on Tuesday night. So probably haven't got time to come in Wednesday. And it just got to a point where we were just booking ourselves in loads of gigs and doing that sort of thing. And then we ended up leaving college a year early because we thought, no, we're going to pursue this. So, um, I mean, our course director wasn't very happy at the time. She said, you're making a massive mistake and all this sort of stuff. And actually, I think it was about six months in, we thought, well, maybe we've made a bit of a mistake here. (laughs) You know, we've we've left college early. We're not getting paid to do these gigs. You know, we're just, we're just on the scene doing it. um, then we had an email from Britain's Got Talent, yes. uh, one of the producers, to ask ask us if we wanted to go on the show.
0: And that's your second moment, which we will go on to talking about. But I love how they all connect because, you know, when you really think about it, you know, you remember that day, that moment when you decided, I don't want to go to sixth form. You could have easily gone to Performing Arts College, you know, another time, but you wouldn't have met those people. And I think that's what's really, you know, what I really love about delving into these moments and kind of putting together all of this kind of little bits that happen because, you know, even just them going at the same time, like it all made a difference to your life path. And the fact that you didn't like dancing, the fact that you kind of like sat in a room that day and brought the things. And it's these moments when little ideas spark. And at the time you don't know whether they're going to go to, but ultimately this was, do you feel like this was kind of like the beginning of kind of the journey of where you are even now in your life?
3: Absolutely. i like, and every time I say, oh, it's a pivotal moment, you know, not going to sixth form or whatever it, this really was because it, you're right. I met two other people that just happened to be there and just happened to not like dancing too, and just happened to be into music and just have like, and all these things that all added up to that moment of us, you know, becoming that asking that question are we a band is this what's (laughs) happening right now and it was yeah it's just mad isn't it well when you look at things like that and you just go they just happen to be there as well as i was you know
0: definitely and it does it feels meant to be and you know as you say you there was a moment where you're like were we a bit stupid to leave college early like was that the right thing to do but ultimately it was for you guys because it's kind of what led you to where you are today and I think it's these moments of kind of you know whether it's young stupidity arrogance or whatever but you learn from them but you also know that you wouldn't be where you were today if you hadn't have made those decisions
3: exactly exactly
0: and Do you ever think about what if you'd have gone to sixth form? Like, do you ever think, like, how different your life would have been?
3: I mean, no, I don't. I don't because I'm enjoying this too much and I don't want to bog myself down with all of that because I wasn't the most academic, you know, person in school. And, yeah, I, I don't know, but I've always just been a happy person. So whatever I would have been doing, I would have been, you know, doing it at the best and, you know, the most enthusiasm that I can. But I wouldn't change what I'm doing for the world, you know.
0: Exactly, and I think the fact that you remember the moment so well means you appreciate kind of like the what-if side of it. You appreciate the fact that you didn't make that decision. What a great slime does moment, and it leads, as you say nicely, onto your second one, which is choosing to do Britain's Got Talent after being asked by producers. So... I really love moments like this. I now love it even more of how you've described how it happened because it isn't just a fluke thing. It kind of really links to the fact that you, you know, you didn't go to sixth form, but it is such a moment of timing and it's also kind of where like one decision totally changes your life and it sounds like it could be, you know, one gig they saw you do or something like that that changed everything. So explain how and why you were asked to do Britain's Got Talent. What made you guys say yes and how this was a Slime Doors moment for you?
3: So, we obviously, as I said, left college. We were booking ourselves in gigs, trying to get out to as many people as we possibly could. The more people that would see us, the more people that would have heard of us. And we might have got a follow on Twitter at the time. Instagram wasn't even around. <laughs> yeah, I know, kids listening. Those, Instagram wasn't a thing. <laughs> so, yeah. And then we started recording some videos. So we were like, well, if we can go on this, there's this thing called YouTube. So if we can like film a video of us playing, put it up on YouTube and people might be able to hear us. So we ended up doing a cover, well, loads of covers, but one cover in particular of Ed Sheeran's The A-Team, yeah. um, which was one of his sort of first singles that he released. Um, and we did a cover of that, and it was me on my ukulele. It was Eddie on his guitar, and then we were all sort of singing and harmonising together. And we put it up on YouTube. And I wouldn't say it was a Justin Bieber moment of, oh, my God, we've got millions of views yeah. in it. It probably was about 20,000, which for us yeah, that was amazing. You yeah. know. Doing gigs in front of two people and then online you just suddenly get about 20,000 and then it just started racking up a bit. So I think it got to 100,000 views or so and um, I think that was where we maybe would have got spotted um, because I think they would have seen that video online, the producers of Britain's Got Talent and, and sort of asked us to go on to the show. So we got the email and it was it was a bit of a weird one because we thought, well, oh, it's a bit of a joke. This is I a joke? was going to say that
0: everyone would probably think like this isn't real. Sorry, no. Yeah. But also we were a bit like,
3: we're too cool for Britain's Got Talent. Like, <laughs> oh, we're too cool for it. No, g- genuinely, I remember having the discussion being like, oh, it's a bit too poppy. It's a bit too... It's and back us, in the day, just... like,
0: brin has Got Talent, like it was the days of when, you know, it was really like the Saturday night thing to watch. Like it was, not exactly. that it's not now, but it was in its massive heyday at the time.
3: Yeah. And we we sort of, you know, discussed it. I remember sitting in Eddie's parents' living room in Chingford and we were there for hours, Hours discussing whether we should or shouldn't be doing it, really? and it was so close to us being like, "No, we're not doing it." And then there was a sort of moment, spark moment from Eddie where he said, "What about if we do it, but we ask them if we could go on and sing our own song?" I thought they're never going to allow us to do that. Then it's just it's Britain's Got Talent. You have to go on. You sing covers. They're yeah. never going to. But do you know what? Let's ask the question. Lo and behold, they said yes. And it was the first year that Britain's Got Talent ever let anyone go on and sing their own songs because we wrote this song called Lovesick, which any gig that we used to do, people used to sing the lyrics back to us there and then. They would learn the lyrics there and then and be able to sing back to us.
0: All written in that little room at college.
3: Exactly. And it was, yeah, it was, um, they said yes because they loved the song. And it was crazy because when I think about it now, we were the first people to do our own song on Britain's Got Talent, but not even that, you know. X Factor as well, because then it paved the way for people like Lucy Spraggan, James yes. Arthur and all these sort of people that came about that were songwriters, mm-hmm. not just, you know, singers to go on and sing their own songs. And that was quite a cool moment. And we, we thought, well, if we can go on a, a show and sing our own song in front of millions of people, why wouldn't we do it? And that's what happened. You know, that was, that was what happened. We went on, Simon Cow heard our song and three boys that were in college writing a song together and skipping dance class. You know, a year later, we've got Simon Cow listening to a song that we've written and putting us through to the final of Britain's Got Talent and millions of people being able to hear this song. It was, it was crazy. It was mental
0: um, I'd love to know what your teacher thought who was like, you know you were so stupid to have left college early, and then the next year you're like on t v and everyone's watching you, but it must have been a massive whirlwind, like do you remember kind of the time in the sense of as you say, you've gone from kind of you know your a hundred thousand just your casual hundred thousand views on YouTube to being in everyone's in everyone's living room every night, Simon Carl seeing you 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 know you were semi finalists you you were you finalists or semi-finalists
3: finalists were well, finalists, finalists as well
0: yeah. and then it led to you being signed and going on tour and going like does it feel like an unbelievable whirlwind like do you remember that time in your life as just being like I can't believe that that all actually happened
3: it really was a whirlwind and it, you've got to remember I was 18 years old I came off Britain's Got Talent which like you said was one of the biggest Saturday night shows there was I think 11 million people watching yeah. you know and For me, 18 years old, coming off a show like that, you know, just going straight into gigging, you know, I remember straight off the back of that show, we were on the road for like four weeks, but we were only told we were doing a couple of gigs. And then while we were doing a couple of gigs, more gigs would get booked in. So then suddenly we had no more washing and we'd have to like buy new clothes because we were (laughs) on the road and we wasn't going home. And it was, it was craziness and it just all just fell into place of just like, we are we're not even just doing this gigging. We're doing this gigging with our own music that we've gone on to a show. And, and it was just a cool moment and a cool whirlwind that I was in. And I never take it for granted. I remember waking up being like, well, there was one morning when we came off Britain's Got Talent and we had loads of meetings set up with record labels. And it was like, we had a whole day booked out with record labels. Like it was literally like, right, we're going to go into universal. We're going to go to Sony. We're going to go into all these sort of different record labels. And, um, my manager came with us and he was sort of having a coffee in the morning before all these meetings and he uh, had a phone call. We got off the phone he went, guys, we're going to have to cancel all these meetings today. And we were like, oh no, why? And they were like, well, because Psycho, Simon Cow wants to sign you. And we were like, are you serious? <laughs> are you serious? And he was like, yeah, it was like, obviously, because you've been on Britain's Got Talent, you've got an exclusive, you know, thing to go to Psycho, they really want you and all that sort of stuff. And we were just like, Wow. You know, and it was just, I I can't explain it to you. Like, I I do remember waking up every morning, genuinely being like, this is crazy. This is mad, you know?
0: It's absolutely mad, especially when you think about how quickly it all happened. And is there like a favourite, you know, pinch me moment you have from that time, you know, of all the gigs that you did, everything that you you kind of managed to do as the Lovable Rose? Is there anything that you look back on you're like, I can't believe I actually did that?
3: (sighs) Uh, I mean so much there's so many pinch me moments you know we went on tour with you know ollie Mers. you know he did like a 28 day arena tour we supported like tom jones we you know did all these sort of amazing things we even i mean this is another moment because obviously to where i am now we performed at wembley stadium at a capital summertime ball
0: amazing and
3: you know, I look at that now and I'm like, I'm like the only person at Capitol that has performed on stage as a musician and hosted on stage yeah. as a presenter. It's like crazy. Um, but yet yeah, there's so many moments. Like, Yeah, I look back at all of them now and I think that's just crazy.
0: It's amazing. And honestly, this is a really, I love this sliding doors moment so much, especially because it started, you know, as you say, from that little room, writing that song, you guys coming together, putting yourselves out there, And what I love most about it is, is that you didn't make the decision easily. You know, you say you sat in a room for hours and hours and hours, and it sounds like it could have easily gone the other way and things would have been so different for you. I guess like, you know, not only would you guys not have gone on Britain's Got Talent and kind of had all the success that you had, but you know, it would have changed a lot for you personally. Like you may not have kind of gone into radio. You don't, you know, you you just don't know where you would have been. And it's amazing to kind of think about, you know, all these moments, that ti- the timing of the email coming and being that series and everything like that. And do you, do you really kind of believe that saying yes to Britain's Got Talent is something that like massively changed your life for you?
3: Of course, it put me on another level of what I wanted to be doing, you know, and it, you know, I could, we could have been gigging for another year and not Got anywhere, you know, and then gone right, shook hands with each other, and gone all right. Well, at least we tried whatever. Where actually, it put us on a platform where we were in front of millions of people, and you know, we happened to be signed to Simon Cowell, and we happened to do all these amazing things, which led me to what I'm doing now.
0: Exactly, and it really is that what if of like if you hadn't have said yes, as you say where would you be now? And it does lead on to your, you're very good at linking all of your Slidoz moments together. Thank you. So much like I do radio, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. It's almost like you know what you're doing. And it does lead on to your third Slidoz moment. So making the decision not to go back into music after the band, I knew I wanted to be a presenter after doing so many radio interviews. So Again, I really love this one. It's very, very linked to your second moment because ultimately, would you have had all these experiences without going on Britain's Got Talent to know that radio presenting was what you loved to do? So explain why and when the band ended and why you decided to kind of change directions in your career and life.
3: So the band ended because we we came off Britain's Got Talent. We had this song called Lovesick and we were like, we need to go out, gig, and we need to release this song. And remember I was saying that we were the first band to ever go onto a show and do their own song, Yeah, which for Britain's Got Talent, for X Factor, for Simon Cow was new. It was a new thing. They didn't, they didn't know what to do with that. They were like, okay, this song everyone loves, but what are we going to do? And there was a discussion at the time where they were like, we need, a, we need a first single before we release Lovesick, because we can't just go straight out with Lovesick. We just can't yeah. do it. And we were like, well, but why? This is the song we came onto the show for. This and they were us. like, trust me, you need an introduction song and then you need your big song. And we were like, okay, fine. And then when we were obviously signed to Psycho, it was that thing of like, right, we've got to find the first song before we release this other song. And we were writing with loads of people. I mean, we were just writing with so many amazing people, you know, that the massive songwriters, you know, today. Um. And we ended up writing a song called What A Night. And it was crazy to us that they wanted another song before this Lovesick song came out. And we, at looking back now, should have really pushed for this song to come out because other people have come off Britain's Got Talent since and got to number two in the charts or got to number one off of The X Factor with yeah. their own songs. And at the time, we should have really pushed. And annoyingly, you know, Simon Cow and there's a guy called Sonny Taco who was his right-hand man, said to us, we've learned from you guys because we should have released it straight away. And, you know, that, obviously they've been doing that ever since. Yeah. But there was a, for us, it took about a year to even find our first single before we even released Love 6. So there was just a lot of slept time on what we were doing.
0: And You didn't kind of like jump on the bandwagon when it was going.
3: Exactly. you got to, yeah. you know, you, you just got to jump on it. And I just think they were too scared to do that at the time. And we ended up a year later after coming off of Britain's Got Talent, which is crazy, releasing this song called What A Night. Did all right. Got to number nine in the charts. You know, we were pleased with it and we were like, this is great. But then we always had this feeling of like, imagine if we did release Love Stick straight off the show, would it have gone to number two? Would it have gone to number one? We don't know. But had it gone to number one, my life could have been very different right now. Yeah, like, another
0: what if moment, totally. Exactly. Um,
3: so, yeah, that, that for us was quite a big moment and it it did sort of like slowly start to deflate what we were doing you know we Mm. were still gigging we were still doing this and then um psycho normally get you know the record label normally get number ones all the time you know you've got to remember at the time they had people like little mix that would just go straight to number one and for them a number nine was like oh oh we're not too sure with this one (laughs) which nowadays if you got a number nine you'd be laughing because the, (laughs) the amount of record sales we got back in the day to compare to what people get now is unbelievable Um, so then they were like, look, you know, sorry guys, but number nine, is just kind of not good enough. I think, you know, we're going to have to part ways. And then we had a whole discussion of whether we wanted to go back into doing another major label or whether we wanted to self fund, you know, our own projects. All we ever wanted to achieve as a band was to have our own album out. That was the dream. You know, when you start doing music, all you want is an album. You know, that is a, a goal for a musician, whether or not it does anything is another thing.
0: But it's the experience of the whole thing. Yeah,
3: and we we earned, you know, enough money to be able to self-fund our own album. And we ended up doing that. Our album came out. It did well, you know, for a, an independent record label that we set up. And we just thought, we're never going to... If we carry on trying, we're just going to keep funding all this money of ours into something that might not work and originally all we ever wanted was that album and we released it you know we we did release an album we've got a body of work that we're all so proud of and there was also that moment where we just thought we should shake hands now and we should you know be proud of what we've achieved you know we've achieved more than what a lot of people would you know ever achieve and we should just go our separate ways. And I remember we had a conversation of, you know, well, what do you think you're going to be do- doing next? And the other two were both, oh, we want to stay in music and all that sort of stuff. And they were like, what about you? And I was like, I
0: don't want to be in music anymore. i <laughs> done. It's
3: just honestly, it just it just wilts you. It's like, yeah, it's they call it a music business for a reason. And you know, the reason why we got into doing music is because we enjoyed it, we loved it, and it was just all a bit of a whirlwind. But you know, there is a business side to it, and I just always knew that it just wasn't for me. I just questioned whether. I was good enough, you know, vocally, you know, whether I was better than any other people out there. And I just thought, do you know what? There was one thing that we did do that I loved and it was touring and it was going to radio stations and doing interviews. And I always used to remember, um, you know, sitting in these interviews and thinking, oh, that looks, that looks like a fun job. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I'd love to be doing that.
0: I love that you got like the vibe, you got the bug. Yeah. And I
3: just thought I, I would love to be doing that. and now I'm doing it. And I was lucky enough, obviously, to play Wembley Stadium for Capital Summertime Ball and ended up meeting people at Capital that year and kept in contact and just ended up where I am now.
0: I mean, it's such an amazing story. I mean, I think I don't think I put enough emphasis as well on your second moment of the fact that, as you say, you did take the risk of asking if you could do your own music. Again, you paved the way for people. But this this is such a this is a really pivotal moment in your life as well, because as you say, if you did, if they had kind of taken your advice, you relief, you'd had released Lovesick. You know, things would have been very different, because we have seen that. You know, you have to, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. Like you've got to yeah. just keep going, and as you say, you could have been catapulted into a world of who knows, five albums, number ones, etc. I think ultimately from what you say, though, I think deep down, you always would have known that like, it may not have been your actual love of your life, but things could have been extremely different for you. And, you know, the fact that you guys did make the decision to quit what you were doing was actually quite smart. As you say, like, you know, some people just keep trying and trying and trying and, you know, I also love the uh, what you say about how you met people at Capital because it is, it's a lot about you never know who you're going to meet, exactly. seeds are planted, where conversations are going to go. So how did that, how did you then get your first job at Capital?
3: Uh, so I basically knew that I wanted to go there. That, that for me was like, oh, Capital, I, I used to listen to Capital growing up, you know, it was Chris Tarrant, Johnny Vaughan, Dave Berry in the mornings, you know, doing the breakfast shows on on the way to school. And I always knew that that was the station for me. Like That was just all I listened to growing up. It was nothing else. Um, And I thought, oh, if I could get a gig there, that'd be amazing. Like, that is the gig to get. And um, I basically kept in contact with people from, you know, performing at their ball. And I, I remember texting a guy that I met called Mike, who worked for Capital at the time, and I said, mate, um, look, I'd love to come in and do a demo. I'd love to do radio. And he, he was really brutally honest with me. He went, look, I'll get you in for a demo. But he went, loads of people want to do radio, Sonny. Like, you're going to have to go away and get an experience, like get some experience. So I thought, look, let me come in and do a demo. Yeah. And then if it's, if it's bad, fine. So I went in to do a demo. And then um, Mike then went to me. He was a very honest person. He went, so what else are you thinking of doing? Are you thinking of doing anything else? <laughs> because, and I was like, wow, why is that? was just, yeah, and it was just like, well, look, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of work to be done. Like, and I, I can't see you doing this anytime soon. I thought, oh, do you know when you just deflate? and You're like, yeah, okay. Then, my, you know, what I wanted to do, maybe I'm not good enough to do it. He went, go away, get experience, come back to me when you feel like you're ready. And I was that, like, I am ready. What are you want about? Yeah. So I went to an, a local radio station where I, you know, where I live in Brentwood, and I just said, look, I really want to do. I really want to do radio. Like, is there a possible that like, possibility that I can have a show and, you know, just go on air and get a bit of experience. And they, they were like, yeah, great. This boy's just come off. Britain's got talent. Yeah, absolutely. Know, we'll have like, him.
0: Score. Yeah.
3: And obviously it was all unpaid. It was all just, you put in what you, you know, you get out what you put in on those shows. You know, if you really want to go to town, you can, you know, do a good show. Yeah. So I, I did it for about a year on a Thursday night doing it was called sunny jay's phoenix nights because it was phoenix fm love it and uh, i love Pete, I love peter k's phoenix nights so i thought i'd stay in it and then yeah it got to about a year in and i remember just thinking to myself i remember sitting in the studio being like do i want to be doing this as a hobby on a, every thursday night or do i want a career out of this because i'm i'm really like starting to do you know when you want to be doing something else?
0: Definitely. And I
3: was like, no, I want this, is, this is what I want to be doing. So then I, I put a demo together from my radio station, sent it back over to Mike at Capital. And he was like, I think you're ready for another demo. So I came back in. And thankfully, they were looking for a, a capital presenter at the time to do overnights, and they offered me the gig. They were like, "Do you want to do overnights?" And I was like, "Oh, not really. Have you got any better times? <laughs> I can't, I can't be doing one till four I think I'm in the ready morning for
0: breakfast." <laughs> yeah,
3: can't be doing that. And yeah, I ended up doing overnights for a bit whilst you know being asked to demo for this breakfast show that was Romans at the time. And yeah, it just it just all sort of fell into place really. I remember doing one till four in the morning of. Overnights, and then I got asked to come in to do some breakfast show bits for Roman's show. And um, it happened like once a week. It was like, Oh, yeah, come and do some breakfast stuff for Roman's show once a week. So I was like, Fine. So I was doing one till four in the morning. I had to sleep in the office for an hour, and then I'd go on to the oh breakfast show to do six till 10. And then it started happening more often. It was like, What well, was two days a week, three days a week, four days a week of doing one till four in the morning Both. and six wow. till 10 doing the breakfast show. And my manager came up to me and was like, um, I think we've got to stop this, don't you? And I was like, "Yeah." I, honestly, I'm sh- I'm shattered, mate. I'm so glad you said that. And he was like, Do "You fancy doing the breakfast show?" I was like, "Yeah." What? He was like, "Yeah," like just doing the breakfast show full time. And I was like, Are "You' been serious?" It was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Yeah," to get rid of overnights. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yes. So yeah, and now we're here.
0: <laughs> it's amazing, and it all like you know, it also again shows that your commitment to things because you know you did. If you don't sometimes do the things that you don't want to do, like, you know, going to local radio or doing the overnight shows, you've got, you, you realize in life that you've got to put that hard work in. And sometimes you've got to do the things you don't want to do to get to where you want to. But I think this honestly really feels like it's meant to be like your whole, everything that's happened in your life feels like the fact that you said that, you know, capital was always where you wanted to go. It sounds like, you know, if we like to think that there's a plan in our lives of kind of how things are meant to be, it sounds like everything that's happened, you know, was led to, you you know, performing at the summertime ball in order to kind of get your inner capital. And, you know, as you say, it just all kind of fell into place for you. And do you think when you look back at, you know, you've gone through all of these moments, does it just feel like you are where you're meant to be and everything that's happened to you happened for a reason?
3: Absolutely. I really, really do. I'm I'm a massive believer of all those things that you've just said, just linking and leading to where I am today. Has it been easy? No, it hasn't. You know, has there been days where I wake up and I go, you know, I don't know if I I believe in myself that much. I don't know. And then you have to give yourself a bit of a kick and go, what are you doing? You know, there's always moments. And I, I always believe that anyone who you speak to, you know, in the industry will always have moments where they they lack belief in themselves and they Mm -hmm. they question whether they question whether, you know, having a normal job would be easy, you know, and because this job is so, you never know when your last show is, you never know when your last this is, you never know when your last that is. And I think that I've learned that you have to believe in yourself and you have to be determined to do stuff in this industry. Because if you're not, you honestly, there's always someone else that will want to be doing what you're doing. And you've just got to, be grateful that you're doing it and do it the best that you could possibly can and, you know, enjoy doing it. I mean, I'm so lucky, like, doing what I'm doing.
0: Oh, Sunny, it's amazing. And I've really, really loved talking about your Slang Dolls moments. I love kind of that you've gone on such, again, the word journey, but you really have and you've really been able to kind of, like, pinpoint the significant moments that have got you to where you are today. I can't wait to see where you're going to go and can't wait to see what this year is going to t- do for you. So um, thank you just so much for coming on, being honest, sharing your moments and just being so inspirational to everyone.
3: Thank you for having me. I mean, it's, uh, it's great for me. It's like therapy. It's not costing anything. It's great.
0: <laughs> Free therapy always. Thank you so much, Sonny.
3: Thank you for having me. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and
1: subscribe. Thank you so much. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.